Hey guys, I am Stephanie Goss and this is the Uncharted Podcast. This week, Andy and I are digging into two questions from the mailbag. One about the differences between being a leader and being a manager and the other one about why we as a field seem so obsessed and worried over negative client reviews. Why do we do it to ourselves? Why do we beat ourselves up so much? Anyways, uh, let's get into it with Andy and I. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me and Stephanie. Come on on the magical mystery tour, Goss. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how's it going, Andy? It's good. I'm ready to do some grab bag stuff. We got a couple questions that have come in that uh, we didn't think were maybe full episodes by themselves, so we kind of gathered them together, and now we're going to pick a couple of them and uh, and do those, right? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited about this first one, because it, to me, it's a, it's a super interesting um, topic. So we had some conversation happening in the Uncharted community, and um, the conversation was about uh, negative client reviews. We had a series of posts where people were like, Hey, this client review went up. What should I do about this? And some practice owners and some practice managers who were really, uh, worked up about, uh, some client reviews. And so someone in the community was asking about why do we all, and they were totally including themselves in this. And I would include myself in this as a manager. Like, why do we spend so much time obsessing and worrying and fearing the negative client reviews. And I think we all see it in the groups that we're in. Every clinic has the clients who are the super angry client, the, the, the Eeyores who are always, you know, always sad about something, the non-compliant clients, the ones who threaten to sue us, the, uh, you know, super demanding high maintenance clients, all of us have those in some form or another. And yet all of us continually ask, what do I do about these people? And so the question was, why, if we know that we all have these clients and we know that they all are being dramatic. And when we share reviews that a lot of them post, it's, I mean, you read it and it's often so outrageous what is being posted. And so the question is, if we can see how crazy some of these sound, why can't we just let it go? Why do we, why do we let ourselves suffer? Why do we spend all of this time pondering it and writing these crazy lengthy responses and sending, you know, letters by signed certified mail when we're firing people? Why are we uh, giving into the anxiety of that? Why aren't we just letting it go and saying goodbye to those clients who cause us all that stress and anxiety? Sure, I got uh, I got a couple of reasons. Okay, uh, and it's not we're not it's not us. It's not it's not mental weakness on our part. I think I thought that for a while. I think I was like, gosh, if I was stronger, I could just let this go. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. it's like if I was more resilient, I could let this go. And the truth is, that's that's not accurate. Uh, that's that's beyond uh, that's beyond reach for most of us because of the way that sure. we're made. And so l- let me I'm going to lay down three things that will hopefully make people who feel bad about getting slammed online feel better or at least feel like their thoughts are valid. OK, okay. so th- the first thing is this is 100 percent. So a lot of this stuff is caveman brain. Right. This is hardwired into us as tribal communal beings. Right. In the past, getting ejected from the tribe meant dying. Right. Right. Your status in the tribe, it mattered. So access to resources, access to mates, like from an evolutionary standpoint, tribal status is right at the top of things that matter in your survival. And so uh-huh. you better believe that's cooked into our DNA and it's still there. Okay. When we get a one star review and we see it online and we know that other people are seeing it, it presses the same buttons as being shamed in the tribal fire circle. You know, yep. this is this is shame in front of the tribe, which is not something you just intellectualize. Right. You, you don't just just think about it rationally. This this could mean death in, you know, in the caveman world. 
And so, yeah, we are wired to take this real seriously, like irrationally seriously, because our caveman, uh, you know, uh, co-driver who's kept us safe for centuries and centuries uh, is freaking out. He's like, you just got disrespected in front of the tribe. Your tribal status is in danger. This could mean your the end of your life. Sure. And like that, that's, that's really it. So I, I do, I believe that that's true because it's just not rational how we feel generally about these things. The people who get away from this are people who don't go online and don't pay attention to it and don't believe (laughs) and don't believe it's that important. And the great thing is they've actually convinced their, their caveman, this is not important. This is not, the tribe does not see this and they truly believe it. And that, that's the only way you rise above it. If you're in the online space and you believe that people read Google reviews, it gets increasingly harder to shrug it off because honestly, that caveman brain freaks out and just and loses it. So I, I think that's number one. I think another piece about from, from a, like the caveman brain piece of it is the other the other piece has to do with. Um, resources like you Mm -hmm. said you know you worry about getting kicked out of the tribe and you worry about you know not being able to find a mate and all of those things and resources um, is certainly a piece of that and so I think there is a piece of our brain that is um, hardwired to believe in the scarcity mentality that there Mm -hmm. is only so much food and there is only so much resources for the whole and if we don't carve out our piece of the resources that we are going to wither away and uh starve and die right and that's that's i believe truly that that is hardwired for a lot of us because um on a on a personal level managing the clinic i will tell you that that that's a hard thing to move past and when i did some serious work on on my own self-awareness i i realized that that wasn't something that i i i don't feel like that that was something that i learned i feel like it was just inherent inherently this belief that came from somewhere that we had to work really, really hard because if we didn't keep all the clients, there was not going to be enough business and we would go out of business and I wouldn't get a paycheck and we would all die like that. Mm -hmm. That's not a rational thing, right? Like that's not something that my brain just made up, but that was, that was truly when you sit back and reflect, that was kind of where the thoughts come from. And it takes, I think a lot of work to shift our brains into the um, idea or the perception that The scarcity mentality doesn't have to be our truth, that we can choose to believe that there is more than enough work and more than enough food for everybody. And and I will tell you that um, it is painful to get to that place. But I have spent um, the last few years of my career being in that place where I truly believe that there is a, a type of food and a type of style for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't necessarily need to have all the clients and the clients who really are, are don't like the way that we run our practice or don't like our rules or don't, you know, who we just don't mesh style wise. That's okay. Like I yeah. would rather them find somewhere else where they're happy um, than, than be miserable with, with us. But that's, it took a lot of work and a lot of time and training to condition my brain. And so I think on the, on the caveman brain side of it, that is definitely another piece of it is that we are just really hardwired to believe in the scarcity mentality. Yeah, I I think that's true. And I think that that dovetails together with the way that anxiety manifests for a lot of us. So, Mm -hmm. you know, anxiety leading to uh, catastrophizing, I'm going to look at this and I'm going to imagine the worst outcome it could possibly have. And when you look at a one star review that says no one should come here, that's not a real hard jump to make. You know, most of us don't get feedback like that very often. So we don't really have a thick skin to it. And we go, oh, my God. Right. You know, this is it. And and then I start down my spiral of going, this is <laughs> we're going to no one's going to come anymore. And right. then even my friends are not going to return my calls and the business is going to shut down and I'm going to have to lay everyone off. And then they're all going to write negative reviews. Do not work for this guy. He will let you starve <laughs> to death. And then my wife is going to be like, I'm ashamed of you. And she'll divorce me and take the kids. And I will end up living in the woods next to the creek by the state park and that's where i'm going to go and so that that is the kind of catastrophizing that we have but it comes from it in all seriousness it comes from anxiety 
And a lot of us feel anxiety about, especially if you're the practice owner and you're like, this is my, this is my legacy. Like everything is tied up in this business. You know, Uh, if this fails, I'm going to sell my house. Uh, It's easy to feel anxiety about that. If you're the manager and you're like, this is my responsibility is to run this thing. Like I am responsible for this outcome. Uh, It is, it is real easy to feel anxiety about performance and how are things going to go. And just these uh, one star reviews are just, oh, they're so loaded to trigger your uh, catastrophizing and just be like, this is the end for you. I think something you said is super, super important as well, which is that as an industry as a whole, when you think back to how we started and the all, you know, the era of all creatures, great and small, it was it was the vet. And sometimes their their partner or their spouse running the business or the, um, you know, a, a business partner, but, but the face of the clinic was, was the vet. And mm-hmm. so at the end of the day, anything that was negative was a personal reflection on yeah. that one person. And so I think as an industry, we are hardwired from that perspective, even though the face of our clinics has shifted 10 times over since that period of time. And, um, there, you know, I know, I know that we have colleagues who, you know, the, the business has been in their practice for family generationally. Right. But, but for most of us, we're working in a practice where we have more than one vet and we have multiple faces and people come and go. And yet we still often react to public criticism or, um, public uh reflection and review from the perspective of i'm taking this personally because this Mm -hmm. is a reflection on me as as a person as the as the face of the business yeah um and so i think i think that adds to it too i would take that even deeper and say it's more than it's a reflection on me as an individual it's that my self-identity as a veterinarian (laughs) is built on care and compassion yeah. Right. Like that is who I am as a person. And so when someone writes a review and says, this guy doesn't care about anything but the money and my identity is on me being a caring person like that right. is how I see myself. This yes. is not just an insult. This is a, you know, throw down the gauntlet. You have offended how I see myself as a person. You know what I mean? Like you were essentially saying, like, I feel like I dedicated my life to being caring and compassionate. And you were going out publicly and directly contradicting that. And like, I can't abide that. And so it does trigger this, like you are attacking who I am as a person. And it, it, it hits us again at a very, very deep level. So I completely agree. I think that, um, that the identity part of it is is really big and taking it personally is really easy. Yeah. I would I would tie into that sort of another one of the uh, cognitive biases and say uh, negativity bias is a thing that everybody has, right? It's the idea, again, caveman brain, uh, we are more able and likely to remember things that are negative than things mm-hmm. that are positive. And that makes a ton of sense. Right. Think about the caveman society. If I ate these berries and they made me sick and almost died, I really, really, really want to remember that. Right. So that it doesn't happen again, as opposed to someone gave me a nice compliment. And from an evolutionary standpoint, that does not serve me nearly as well as remembering fire is hot. Dave tried to murder me and the purple (laughs) berries made me sick for a month. Don't eat the purple berries. <laughs> and don't trust Dave. <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny, but it's true, right? Like yeah. that's that's how as a as a toddler, as a child, that is how we learn a lot of fundamental core lessons. Don't touch the stove, it's hot. Right. You know, yeah. don't <laughs> don't put metal in the electrical outlet. It's yeah. bad. Like those kind of very, very um, negative responses are how we are shaped as early human beings on a primitive level. And so I think I think there's total truth to that. Yeah. 
So that's that's negativity bias, right? It's just baked in like we will always take the negative reviews more seriously and personally than the positive reviews. And mm-hmm. it sucks. It really mm-hmm. sucks. So uh, so, yeah, that's negativity bias. The last one is one I'm really interested in and I'm thinking a lot about with exam room communication stuff. And I want to I want to I want to do some writing on this. But um, there is um, I think a lot about discomfort in the exam room. Right. And um and sort of the morality of making recommendations to pet owners and what we recommend and gold standard of medicine versus uh, lower standards of medicine that are acceptable. And, and yeah, I just, I've just been rolling all these things around. And one of the reasons I think that veterinarians are so worried about looking sleazy is this. In economics, there is a theory called uh, information asymmetry. And the idea is that whenever you have two parties and one knows more about a service or a product than the other does, you have a problem, right? And so this is the classic example of the used car salesman. And so when we talk about slimy salesman, someone says used car salesman. Uh The reason they say that, the reason that used car salesman specifically stands out is because traditionally you would go and buy a used car. And the used car salesman knows more about the car than you do. You know, like he knows it's been in a wreck. He right. knows that it's he knows it's the third time he's had this car because right. he sells it and it's a lemon and it breaks down and it comes back. And you don't know anything about this car. You're right. just looking at this. You don't even know if the odometer has been tampered with. Right. It may have more miles on it than it says it does. The car salesman may know that you don't know that. And the classic slimy used car salesman, he knows the flaws and the problems with that car. He knows so much more about that car than you do. And you are naive to it. And he's taking advantage of the fact that you don't know what he knows. Right. And that is why used car salesmen have the slimy salesman moniker uh, tied to them. So what does that mean for us? I've thought about this for a long time because that is no different than going in and talking to the veterinarian because here I am and I'm talking to this pet owner and I know what medications their pet needs and I know what's available and I know what's probably really important and what's less important and what's less important than that. You know, I know what products out there uh, I could sell to you that I don't think are really going to help you or work. Mm -hmm. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And again, I would not do that. But if I did, you wouldn't know it because you don't have the information. Right. To, you know, to check. And guys, that is why pet owners struggle with that medicine a lot. That's mm-hmm. why we get so mad about fake information on the Internet, because we work so hard to get this trust. And pet owners come in and they go, what if you're misleading me? Like, what if you're recommending a bunch of stuff I don't need? I don't know. Right. Right. When I, when I go to the grocery store, I know what I'm getting. Like, I've had these products. I know these products. I know what they right. cost. I know what they cost other places. I don't have those thoughts. When I go to the auto mechanic, I definitely have these things. When they come out and they're like, yeah, you looks like you need new tires right. and a, a new <laughs> air filter. And I'm like, I think I just had that stuff. Like, I have no idea yeah. if I need that or not. It's 100% right. me betting on you. Okay. So that's information asymmetry. Information asymmetry is hard on building trust. And you really have to work to overcome it and to get people to trust you. And one of the ways that you um, that you get around this problem of information asymmetry, the problem of I know all these things and the pet owner doesn't know them, I need the pet owner to trust me to come along, is through reputation. My reputation is the thing that traditionally gets me out of this. If I have a good reputation and I am well known and trusted and people say I'm a good vet and you know this and you come to me and I say, hey, this is what you need. And I seem like a reasonable guy and a nice guy and people have recommended me and they say that I'm trustworthy, then you feel okay about it. And I know that that's I know at a deep level, I know that that's important. And so when that one star Google review comes out and says, don't trust this guy. It hits me right in the reputation, which is so important because of the nature of our work. Yeah. And so it, it does make me feel like my ability to gain trust and to do my job is damaged. So anyway, information asymmetry. I don't think, I don't think a lot of us think about it that way, but I do think that we at a deep level understand that that is the nature of our business and that, and that is why our reputation is so, so important and valuable. And so attacks on reputation undermine us at a deep level because of that reality in medicine. Yep, that makes that makes a lot of sense. 
I think the last piece for me is that, you know, we are a profession full of overachievers. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, super. <laughs> yes, exactly. And uh, we are also a profession full of people pleasers. And those two things combined, we as a as a profession want to think that we can fix all the things And the reality is we can't. We can't be all things to all people. We can't make everybody happy. It's just not going to happen. But because we are hardwired as overachievers, it is very hard for us to let that go. Um, And so we really, really struggle with that. And the other piece of it is, is that we are empathetic and compassionate and caring. We came to this profession because we want to serve our patients and we want to serve our clients and we want to make the world a better place through helping pets. That is fundamentally, there is a piece of compassion and caring in every single person that is in veterinary medicine. None of us do it for the money, despite what our clients might think. And the fact of the matter is we, because of that, because we are compassionate, we care so, so much. We don't want to think that we screw up. Because we spend all day trying to do the right thing. And sometimes it's really hard to hold the mirror in front of ourselves and look at the situation and say, yeah, we we probably did screw that up. We we may have made errors, whether it's with medicine or client service. It doesn't matter. Standing in front of the mirror and staring at ourselves naked is a really, really hard thing to do as a as a profession because we we are so caring and compassionate and we're giving all day long. And so it's really hard to move past that and be honest with ourselves. But the reality is we are not perfect beings. We we make mistakes and we can control those mistakes. And at the same time. Sometimes we have to hold the mirror up in front of ourselves and say, yeah, we we probably screwed that up pretty bad and we could have we could have done better. And so I think we have to consider both of those two things and recognize we have to be able to stare ourselves in in the mirror sometimes and learn some lessons from those bad reviews. And for me, that's getting over obsessing with the reviews has has come from the place of when someone has something to say about how we screwed it up. I genuinely try and listen. I try and see past the ranting and the raving and the crazy and look at, did we do something wrong? Like, could we have done this better? Because we're not perfect and we can always um, learn a lesson from that kind of feedback, even if it is mixed in with the shouting and the ranting. I I always want to look and see, could I have done better? And if the answer is yes, I want to take that and move forward. And if the answer is no, I'm going to let that go and I'm going to move on. Totally. Let's talk about action steps here because I want to help people. Like, I think we, I think I really love this conversation is like, man, I think we just hit all the different reasons why these really hurt. And you can go through and pick out the one that fits you best. (laughs) Like, what is your reason why they hurt? Um, Let's give, let's give some quick tips and tricks for dealing with this. So we've, we've sort of said, this is why I think it hurts. Um, I'll start off and I'll take yours and I'll say, uh, number one is abundance mentality. You have to believe that there are some clients that are great for you in your clinic and that we're going to yes. trust you and they're going to be, they're going to listen to you and they're going to follow your recommendations and you are doing their thing and that, um, that you can't make everyone happy. And so you should make the people who mash up with you happy. And if you can believe that, then it's fine that some people don't like you. But I think you have to get away from this idea of I need every client uh, or else I'm going to go out of business. You don't. The truth is there are clients that fit for you and you mm-hmm. want those clients. And there's clients that don't fit for you and that's not and they're not going to fit for you and that's fine. And the quicker they uh, figure that out and leave, the better off they are and the better off you are. And if they put that, uh, it's funny, I see people, uh, they'll post a one-star review and say, uh, don't come here uh, because it's five times more expensive than the shelter. And I'm like, dude, if that's your criteria of what you're looking for, you know what I mean? That Mm -hmm. this is the most affordable place around, then I'm glad that person left that review and other people should, should know that. And I don't mean that I'm not saying that in a snide way. I'm just going, 
we are a white glove, high service practice. And yes. that's what we are. And if, if you're looking for affordability, you probably should go somewhere else mm-hmm. and more power to you and no hard feelings, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But I can only say that because I'm like, you know what? The, we're, we're fine. We've got clients who love us and they're going to keep loving us. And I believe that. And so that, that abundance mentality of there's plenty of work. It's about finding the right people, not finding all the people. I think that that, that is very freeing. And I will, uh, I will take yours and I will, I will say, um, on the, on the bit of negativity bias that we were, we remembered the bad lessons, um, that is something that can be overcome with culture. And yeah. so this is where as a manager and as a leader, it is up to me to change and, and make the shift for my team. And so I, a few years ago, flipped the script and I started sharing all the good reviews with my team. And so we call those out first and foremost. And yes, we look at the we look at the negative or the critical reviews as well. But we overwhelmingly look at the positive ones. And I want everybody to see those. I want everybody to feel good about the things, because if overall we are focusing on the good, then when we have that moment with the purple berry it mm-hmm. makes it a little bit less painful to deal yeah. with as a team because we've built up this um, bucket of good positive that we can dip into to help us um, take the sting out of out of the negative when it's not so good. And it's one of those major life lessons. Yeah. Everybody should commit to holding the trophy more often. Yeah. You know, we've got a negativity bias, which means we have to actively uh, focus mm-hmm. on the positive. Like we have to make that decision because it's not mm-hmm. our natural state. And so. I, I'm just a big fan of at the end of the day saying what went well today mm-hmm. and I'm just going to sit with that for a minute and some people go oh that seems arrogant it's not arrogant it's it's there's nothing wrong with being proud of the work that you did and and just taking a moment to enjoy the nice things that people said to you and the mm-hmm. smiles that you created and it's because you're going to remember and experience the frowns and the angry uh, faces and so take the time and and hold the trophy so you deserve it. I, I love that. I put forward, remember that vet medicine is not who you are. It's what you do. Yeah. And this is one that I have, I had, I had to learn. I had to learn the hard way. And um, I'm sure a lot of other people do as well, but you are a veterinarian by trade, right? Mm-hmm. But that is not you as a person. That is what you do for a living. Right. And I think that is a healthy distance to say, that's how I earn a living. That's what, that's my, that's my occupation. I am also a father and a husband and a gardener and a CrossFitter and a, uh, you know, crafter and whatever else I am. Like those things are, those are also what I do as well. And so yeah. I just think that, that amount of space I think is really helpful. Jamie Holmes always says, hurt people, hurt people. And that um, I, I like that phrase a lot. And that helps me with these. Generally, these reviews are they're often, especially with the really angry ones. They're they're generally not about you. They're about mm-hmm. the other person that like angry right. clients for COVID. We see this all the time is these people are angry and stressed and scared. It has nothing to do with you. Yeah. And, but they get mad at you. And it's just it's healthy if you can remember this is not about you. Hurt people hurt people. Those people who are truly nasty. uh we should probably pity those people. Uh, I don't know what it is that has that has made them that way, but is not pleasant, I'm sure. And uh, and yeah, it's it's not it's not a fun place for them to be. So. Well, and on the hurt people, hurt people. One of the things that has worked really well for me is to find someone in your life who is not in the clinic, mm-hmm. and um. And use that person as a filter. So now when I get one of those reviews that I have to deal with as a manager, I have um, someone who is not in the clinic read it. And if they can look at it and say, yeah, that sounds crazy. I let Mm -hmm. it go. I I don't engage or deal with it at all if I don't have to. If they look at it and go, well, what what did happen here or uh, well, do they have a point about this piece or that? Then I'll then I'll look at it because sometimes there is truth that we need yeah. to see in some of those reviews. And so for me, it's about um, getting someone outside of the situation to help me be a filter to to see 
if your average person who's not involved in the vet clinic reads this review on Google or Yelp, are they going to see the crazy too? And that has been hugely, hugely helpful for me. And it just takes a few seconds to say, hey, can you can you can you read this for me? Do, like, do I really need to deal with this? Find that person. And, you know, it's hard because we don't have objectivity in the clinic. You know, mm-hmm. our team takes it just as personally as we do. And if we're asking each other, we're probably not going to get an honest answer. And so that has been super helpful as well to have somebody else that I can help filter that through to figure out like you know if my mom reads this on Yelp is she going to look at it and be like "Mm, I can skip right past that review because that person's straight crazy and if the answer to it is yes I'm fine I don't need to engage with that I don't need to respond to that there's uh there's three kinds of people that give you feedback okay so there are um uncritical lovers and those are people who they love you they think you walk (laughs) on water they do not if you ask them how you're doing they'll say great and you right. say, really, give me some real feedback. And they're like, you're, you're awesome. Al- you're almost <laughs> too great. Like that's as much of it. They are uncritical lovers, right? There are critical haters. These are people who hate you. They just, they, right. and they are going to criticize everything. You know, you could, you could come to their house and do, uh, you know, whatever they need for all of their pets and then refuse to take any money. And they would write a two-star review because you left money footprints. Uh, right. in there for you. <laughs> Like they they are uh, they are critical haters, and uh-huh. the third kind are the critical lovers, and what those are those are people who like you and want you to succeed, and will give you honest feedback. Yes, and those people are rare. We need to think about those three kinds of people when we look at reviews. And the truth is, uncritical lovers, as much as they're wonderful, they're not really helpful. Mm-hmm. And critical haters they are equally unhelpful, right? They are just looking to tear us down and we're not getting anything out of that. But our critical lovers, the people who say, I have been coming here and I like this place. I wish that they weren't uh, doing this other thing or I wish they didn't, uh, you know, close at this time or I wish their policy on this thing was different. Those are people I I, want to, I want to hear that, you know? So, so looking at the reviews and saying, is this an uncritical lover? Is this a critical hater? Uh, neither of those are really going to get a lot of my time or should get a lot of my time. Although yeah. I just, I just like to hold the trophy. But um, <laughs> if this person is a critical lover, like I want to, I want to hear that. Yeah. And so is this something that I'm going to do something about? And this is where, this is where we get in trouble. So uh, there's this sort of mental process called rumination. Rumination is when something bad happens and we just relive it over and over again. And the studies have shown we're actually basically putting ourselves through that trauma every time that we do it. Like our emotional reactions uh, and our brainwaves are basically the same as we relive this trauma over and over again. And so rumination is not helpful. It's not good for us. Mm-mm. So, The way out of rumination is read the thing, look at the review, decide if this is someone, if there's a point here, right? Decide if there's valid feedback here. And then ask ourselves, what are we going to do about it? Yes. Right. And and, and go on. It's just easy to sit in this place of why did they say this? And why did this happen? And why, 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 why? Uh, Do that and figure out what the root analysis is, what the root cause is. And then you have got to make your mind switch over to the what. What are we going to do? Yes. What are what are what are we going what's going to advance us out of here? And you might be like, you know what, that's a valid criticism and I'm not going to do anything about it. And sometimes that that is true. For example, if you get a, a criticism that says the wait time here is insane and you go, you know what? The wait time here is insane. <laughs> right. And I don't know what to do about it and I am working on it, you know. Um beating myself up it's a valid criticism i don't know you know i'm doing my best to address this as fast as i can and i have decided these are the steps i'm going to take and i've just got to let it go because i'm 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 doing what i can do but the the other thing that that helps me sleep at night is um and so this is practical so i agree 100 percent with everything you just said andy and what that looks like for me as a manager is when i have those um critical lovers i take their feedback. And generally I send them um, an email and I say, you know, I got your feedback. Thank you so much. I, uh, you know, would love to talk to you a little bit further about that. Can you please let me know a good day or time to talk? And if they respond and if they engage, those are the people I want to listen to. And if they blow me off, 
I tried and I feel good and I can sleep at night saying I reached out to them. And if they don't, if they don't, if it doesn't really matter enough for them to want to engage with me, then I'm going to let it, let it go. And then for those people who, you know, like your example is so great about if they criticize the wait time and you're down a doctor and you have 45 minute waits, like those are the people where I can have the conversation with them and I can say, you know what, I totally hear you. And it is, it is, it is awful. And I totally see that. And here's here's what I'm trying to do to solve that, because I know that it's a problem and I'm not it's not about excuses. I I don't know if you know, but we are down in doctor right now. And so here's what we're doing. We're actively recruiting. Mm -hmm. We're like whatever that looks like having that conversation with them and just saying, you know, I know it sucks and I know it's frustrating and I I can commit to you that we are doing everything we can to try and change that for you in the future. And I just want you to know that I do really value your feedback that that's usually just feeling heard and addressing it um, is usually enough for those critical lovers to say, OK, they they see it. I've said mm -hmm. what I need to say and um, move move forward in a positive way. And at the same time, that's what lets me sleep at night, because I can say I had the conversation. I made them feel heard and I am doing my best. And now I'm going to move on with my life. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right. Let's take a break and then we'll do our next question. Sounds great. Hey guys, I just want to jump in here with a quick break and let you know about the Uncharted Marketing and Strategy Conference, which is coming at you. It is virtual, April 22nd through the 25th. This is the flagship conference of Uncharted. Uh, it is it is the one that we started with. It is what we do best, I think. I don't think there's anybody who does marketing strategy stuff in vet medicine better than we do. I know I'm, I'm a bit biased. But that's, that's just what I think we have got. Uh, we've got some great presenters. And again, remember, we are a workshop conference. We are not a lecture conference. You are not going to come and sit and get talked at. You're going to work on your business at this conference and you're going to work on communication, right? About streamlining, setting strategy for your practice. We are not going to be pushing hard to grow clientele because most of us have as many clients as we can handle. Instead, we are going hardcore at efficiency, smoother, faster communication that gets medicine done more uh, more effectively. And so that is really what we're going to work on. Uh, it's going to be uh, a collection of speakers, uh, myself included. Stephanie Goss is going to be there. She's going to be doing some presentations. Uh, Dr. Caitlin DeWild, who's the social DVM, is going to be there talking about communication. Dr. Stacy Santi, who's an entrepreneur and practice owner and incredible lecturer. Uh, Sanani Ratnayaka, who is, uh, she is a light in the world. I love uh, Sanani to pieces. She has been our uh, speaker of the year at Uncharted before. She is, uh, she is so great about talking about culture and uh, focus and planning and resilience. And I just, I, I think the world of her. We've got Craig Spinks, who's uh, with videos. We've got a collection of other presenters coming online. Guys, if you like uh, if you like setting strategy for your business, if you like the podcast, if you like uh, communication, if you want things to be more smooth in your practice, head on over, get registered, virtual conference, 22nd through the 25th of April. It is going to be fantastic. Link in the show notes. I hope to see you there. All right, Steph, what is, uh, what's our second question? Okay. So our second one is, um, uh, is a good one as well. We have, uh, had something come in through the mailbag and, um, I've been wanting to tackle this for a while, but it's, it's a hard one. Um, it is that, uh, this person has recently moved into a position of team leadership and they wanted to know if we would consider discussing the difference between a practice manager and a team leader. And um, so for our purpose, I'm going to assume that a team leader would be like a floor lead or a shift lead. So they're in a role of leadership, but they're not the the um, manager of the of the practice. And so they said, I myself don't want to actually have to manage anyone, let alone my fellow employees. I am really lucky. I work with a group of proactive people with high accountability I really want to and in, I want to do uh, the things of empowering and inspiring and leading because that's what I really enjoy and to help keep everybody moving in the same direction. And at the same time, I don't want to I don't want to have to manage anybody. Can can I can I do that? Can those two things happen at the same time? So I thought this was a this was a good one. It is. A, it is a good one. Um, yeah, it is a good one. This is. 
about 75% semantic and 25% uh, hard nuts and bolts. I think. <laughs> I think. So let's just, let's start off. So the fir- at first blush, I look I look at this question and I'll just be honest and say. I generally don't take questions like this very seriously. And I went back and, re- and sort of reread this and I understand what they're getting at. And I do like this question. I really do. Mm-hmm. But at first blush, there's so much consultant speak, you know yes. what I mean? And like corporate hand waving and um, and sort of marketing about uh, about organizational structure that goes on. You know, when people will say, well, I'm not... I'm not the leader. I'm the chief visionary. And right. I'm, you know, I am the I am the central cheerleader. And I get that stuff. I, I think that I think the term manager is not particularly sexy and I, right. you know, and as <laughs> not as not sexy. And so I think a lot of yes. times other people say, I'm not a manager. I'm a motivator. And I'm like, okay, I I get it. Yeah, I, I, I get yes. it. Um yeah. I tend to be a pretty pragmatic person. So a lot of that stuff, I just kind of go, ah, but, but I do think that there's a very distinct difference between a manager and a leader. And I think a manager can, uh, I think a leader can definitely be a manager. Um, a manager can definitely be a leader, but they don't necessarily have to be the same thing. Correct. I think a manager that's not a leader is, uh, is a pretty morbid position. <laughs> well, and at the same time, we everybody needs there there is everybody needs a manager like the the manage the role of a manager in getting people to do the things is mission critical uh for uh any hospital bigger than you know one doctor really like the, the when you get over that size of a team of five or seven like there has to be someone making sure that everybody is doing right. the things and that the the business part gets run and the, the paperwork gets filed and the bills get paid on time like the functions of a manager are critical to the practice running yeah but and and thank God that there are people in this world, just like there are people that love spreadsheets and numbers and, <laughs> and uh, you know, the the process work. There are people equally who can't handle that work. And thank God we have those people who can do it because it means people who don't like those things don't have to do them. And yeah. it's the same. It's the same for people who truly like the management work. Um, you know, we're so, so happy to be them. And, and I would say for, for me and my experience with veterinary, veterinary medicine, when it comes to stripping away all of the, the consultants, because you called it, Andy, I think it's, that's it. That's a really good way to look at it is at the end of the day, a practice manager can absolutely be a leader. Sure. And they are always going to have to be a manager. That's their job. And so you have to be willing and able to do the management work in addition to being a leader. And so when I read this, this, uh, you know, question for us the first time, I was like, well, it sounds to me like you don't want to be a practice manager. (laughs) I'm like, oh, yeah, at the end of the day, that's that's the answer. (laughs) Right. Is if you want to be a practice manager, you have to manage. Yeah. So let me try to put some structure into this goo. Um. For me, management in, uh, in explicitly uh, is built explicitly on accountability and responsibility, right? Which means if you are going to hold someone accountable, then you are a manager. Mm-hmm. And so, to to me, that that is the thing. If sure. you, Stephanie Goss, let's just let's say that there's. Um, uh, let's just say Michael is uh, is someone that you're uh, managing. If you are going to be held accountable for Michael's performance, then you're a manager. Right. You know, yes. if if there are consequences that you are going to have to deal with because he does not do his job, because he doesn't show up, because he's negligent, then you have responsibility for him. You're his manager, you know. Yeah. Um, if you are the team leader, but you're not the manager, to me, what that means is that you uh, you motivate people, you communicate to them. But ultimately, yes. if Michael does a crap job, that's not coming down on you. 
you know, yes. because you're not his manager, you're, you're a leader. And so those things are very different. So in, in, if you go with, with sort of my definition here is to say anyone in the practice can be a leader. And I believe that yes. anyone in the practice can lead by example. They can set a good attitude. They can be a culture leader. They can refrain from taking a part in negative behaviors like gossiping. And mm-hmm. they can they can positively reinforce behaviors that they see. They can pat people on the back. They yeah. can jump in and help uh, everywhere and just be someone who has a great influence in the practice. Right. Mm-hmm. Who people look up to and who respect and who they ask their opinion uh you know, and, right. and who, um, yeah, who has the ability to motivate change. That's a leader. But you become a manager when you are accountable for the behaviors, the performance, the outcomes that people under you achieve. Right. And so that that to me, that is that is 100 percent the line. So if this person says, I want to be a leader, but not a manager, I think you can do that unless the practice needs a manager Right. You know, and and then that's that's just not you, you know, right. That's it. Right. Yeah. I I mean, I that was when I when I read it, the first thing I thought of is like maybe um, a team lead is the perfect position for this person, because if they just want to do if they want to Mm -hmm. be positive and they want to be inspiring and and um, they want to cheer everybody on and um that's great they mentioned empowering and empowering to me implies a degree of oversight um in in terms of when you you when you want to empower someone within the team to do things for themselves to me that 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 means that i'm looking at them from a supervisory capacity and maybe i'm wrong there but but that for me i would ask this person like do you want to do you want to have that oversight or responsibility, like you said, uh, for another person's performance? And if the answer is no, great. You can be yeah. a be a team leader and lead from within the team. You don't even have to have a title. You can lead yeah. from within the team without a title. Yep. And on the other the the flip side of that, um, I guess for me would be to bring up the fact that in the hierarchy of practice leadership for 99.9% of practices out there, the next step above someone with a title in the middle of a team is a management role in Mm -hmm. some way, shape or form. There is, there is management um, and the supervising of team members involved. And so if you want to move up, you just need to consider that because I don't know any any vet hospital where a move up beyond that middle level is not going to require oversight and and management and responsibility. Yeah. So, no, I, I think it's great. I uh, I like your point about empowerment. It 100 percent depends on are you when you say you want to empower people. Are you saying that in a pragmatic business standpoint, like you're going to give them power? Right. Or are you saying it in an Instagram influencer way? Where you're just going to do the thing and other people are going to see you doing the thing and feel inspired, right? Right. Because <laughs> I see, yes. I see, I see, I'm, I'm empowering people to pursue their fitness goals. It's like, are you really, um, is that, are it you depends inspiring on how, them? Are you inspiring them? Mm-hmm. I, I think that, I think empowering, inspiring get used, uh, yes. sort of interchangeably, but yes. yes. Okay, cool. So I, I think, I think that that really is the question to your point. And again, I've been crapping on leadership here. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that uh, that leadership is not wonderful in the practice. It totally is. And I'm not saying that I don't think that uh, a technician who um, who is a leader, like say a non-positional leader, meaning they just they just lift up the culture and make the right. and make the 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 place great. I'm not saying that they're not more valuable than a technician that doesn't do that. They should be rewarded for that and should they should be celebrated for that. They should be positively reinforced for that. All of that is true. Um to me, it I agree with you. It feels like there's probably a ceiling in that when you do those things, they go, you're amazing. You're wonderful. Let me give you some <laughs> responsibility. Let me give you some responsibility. And I think that's the, that's as soon as I see that person who's leading, I'm going to say, let me give you some responsibility because I do think, 
I do think that that's a, that's a big thing. <laughs> I think I think your upward ability is probably limited uh, if you don't want to take on accountability, responsibility for being in charge of other people. You know, and and I will say I have been I have been blessed to work in hospitals where I have had um, leaders on the team who have been those people that they're mm-hmm. very clear. I don't want to go up. I like yeah. where I am at. I'm happy here in the middle. I don't want to have to oversee anybody. I don't want that responsibility, but I am happy to do this thing here in the middle. And I let me tell you, my job was exponentially easier as a manager because I got to work with those people. And so there don't, don't um, take it the wrong way because there is nothing wrong with if that is how you feel and that's where you want to be. I, I think that's fantastic. And I have really been so blessed to work with some people who have had that, that mindset of, I am happy here. This is as far as I want to go. And I'm, and I'm okay with that. I just want to, bring up the point on the flip side of that, which is that if you do want to move up, I think there there's a little bit of um, rose colored glasses if you don't think that you won't have to manage people, because the reality is that's that's part of the job. Or you're going to have to think outside the box. Right. So so I guess what I would say is and, and now that we've sort of laid all this out and I go, those people really are wonderful. What I would say to the person who feels that way and says, I want to be a leader, I really don't want to manage what I would say is, okay, we need to step back. And look at your career and see how do you move up without taking on the responsibility of managing other people. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. maybe that means you're going to go get a a technician specialty or you're going to go do a residency and you're going to become a specialist who 100% doesn't have to manage other people. You just do your thing and influence culture and influence the support staff who works around you, or you get into training so that you are not responsible for these people, but you are the trainer of these people and you share your knowledge and you do. So there, there is an upward path that way. It's just not the traditional in the hospital path of I move up, uh, I work on the floor, I move up to be a lead, I move up into management, you know, and I move up the organization I become a a district manager or whatever. Right. that's those doors generally aren't open unless you take on that responsibility of accountability. Yeah. Cool, man. Okay. Thanks for doing this with me. Yeah. (laughs) Super good. That's, that's all I got. Awesome. Okay. Have a great week guys. You guys take care and we'll see you soon. Well, gang, that's it. I hope you enjoyed chatting with us this week. Andy and I will be back next week to get into something new. In the meantime, if there is something that you would love to hear us talk about on the podcast, you've got a question or a situation, something that's going on in your practice that you would love to hear us talk out, uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can always find us at the mailbag, which is found at unchartedvet.com forward slash mailbag. You can send us your questions, things you'd like to hear us talk about, and we'd love to get into it with you. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. We'll see you next week. Thank you.